Happy New Year. It's great to be here with you. And uh, man, 2020 is well underway. Can you believe that? We're already uh, rocking the new year. And I can't believe like a decade gone by that we're already uh, kind of continuing on with life here in this church, in this facility, and seeing all that God is doing here. And uh, just an awesome opportunity to be able to continue to praise God as we go after it. You know, this past fall, we changed our name. If you're new with us and you didn't know that, we changed our name back in September. Like the first weekend in September, we moved to the name Summit Point Church. And uh, so we've been talking through what does it mean? Why did we go after that name? And uh, Summit Point, we are a place to belong, pursue, and experience our living God. A place to belong, pursue and experience our living God, having that summit experience with our God on a daily, regular basis. May we be rocked by him, right? That's what we're going after. And man, if you look back at the first series we preached back then in September, October, uh, summit life is what we were talking about. And we talked through each of the opportunities we have to be able to experience this moment with our God. And please hear me, the Christian walk is not about knowing facts. The Christian walk is about knowing the living God of the universe and having him rock your world. And all of God's people said, don't miss that privilege. Don't miss that opportunity that we can walk with our king and know our God and personally experience him. And that entire first series was all the different ways that we can experience our God, what that summit walk can look like, this summit life with him, having a mountaintop experience, right? So that was summit life. The next series we preached was summit values. So like really think of it as a mountain kind of experience. The path on the way up to the summit is those values. And we talked through the six values. They keep you on track. They keep you in bounds, right? We talked about the word, being able to preach the word and you coming expectant, ready to receive the word. And may God be glorified as he leads us by his word with our authentic worship, with our prayer that is dedicated to him. It is dependent upon him as we share boldly of our faith, as we gather purposefully here and as we plant strategically out other churches that are doing the same thing. Man, having those as our kind of guide marks along the way, it creates a path for us so we know where we're headed. So we had our summit life talk about what it is to experience our living God, right? Then we had summit values, the path to getting there, the broad base of what we're going to go after here in each of our ministry sets. And now we're actually starting a new series called Summit Walk. What does each step of each day look like? Summit Walk. Man, as we go on this path with a journey of experiencing our God, what choices do we have? What decisions should we be making? These are going to be super practical, one step at a time, steps in our life that we might continue to walk with our King. That's what we're going after. May 2020 be a life-altering experience for you where you are walking one step at a time into summit life with your God. And all of God's people said, all right, that said, do me a favor. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. We are going to be walking through the book of James, okay? As we talk summit walk and step by step, we're going to use the practicals that come out of the book of James. In fact, there are over 50 imperatives in the book of James, where he's like, do this, and this, 
and this, and this, and this, right? It gets very clear about what those steps need to be. And so we're going to be walking through the book of James piece by piece over the next couple of months and learning what it is step by step to experience our God. And uh, as we do that, let's make sure we understand a little bit about the book of James. So this book was written uh, probably around the 45 to 50 uh, AD, just a little bit after Christ rose from the dead, about 10 to 15 years after Christ rose from the dead. And this book was written to a collection of Jewish people who were trusting in Christ. They are believers, they are followers, and Jews. They had gone under an extreme level of pressure and they ended up spreading out what's called the diaspora or the great dispersion. They were pushed out due to pressure. They were starting to be persecuted in so many different ways that they moved away from that persecution. It spread them all over the place. And these Jewish believers, this is early in the church, um, they ended up having this huge rally time where they were beginning to try to learn what it was to follow after Christ under duress. And this book, the book of James, is written to them saying, here's what it looks like to stay on track. This is what it looks like to go step by step as you worship your God, making much of him no matter how hard it gets. That's the book of James. This is a step-by-step process to our worship being on fire no matter the circumstances. And in fact, they were under some pretty heavy circumstances. So as we get going today and we learn what it is to step through trials, that's this first step, stepping through trials. How do we go about stepping through trials? Point number one was face trials with hope and purpose. Face trials with hope and purpose. Each time you face a difficulty, know that there is purpose behind it. God is doing something in this and you're looking for that bigger picture. Face trials with hope and purpose. We start out here, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. It says, James, right? So we'll just start there. The author at least gives his first name, right? Now, he doesn't tell much more about himself, so there's a little bit of discussion about who this actually is. James, there's several different options of who it could be. Some think maybe it's James the Apostle. Um, most believe, most conservatives believe that it's probably Jesus' half-brother, James, okay? This is probably Jesus' half-brother, and just so we're clear, we already know from the Gospels that while Jesus was alive and living before going to the cross, his brothers did not believe that he was God Almighty come down to earth clothed in flesh, as most brothers wouldn't, right? Like, I know you think you're God, but you're not, right? Those conversations went down in that home. And there was this weird conversation of trying to figure out who it was, but after Jesus rose from the dead, he became a believer. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, ended up a huge player in the city of Jerusalem at the church of Jerusalem. He was one of the heads there. He led in a massive way. He's like, Jesus Christ, he is God Almighty, and I worship him. And he was leading the church in a powerful, passionate way, and uh, Really, as we end up seeing the struggle that the Jewish people went through, he then began to reach out to them as a Jewish believer and helping them along their journey and how to step through trials. James, this is probably the half-brother of Jesus. And I will say this too, just so you know, this little side fact. But actually in the Greek, the name here in the Greek 
is Jacobus. Jacobus. You can almost hear it. It sounds a lot like Jacob, right? And so just so you know, in the Greek, it's more Jacob would be a, a very literal translation. And one variation on Jacob is James. That is a variation on the name. I actually never even knew that. I thought James was just another name. But it's actually a variation of the name Jacob. And, and so the king at the time of the first Bible that was being recorded in English that was kind of tracking with manuscripts was the King James Bible. And King James trying to figure out a good way to differentiate Jacob and these guys thought, use my name, right? And so actually King James got his name in by saying, hey, James, it is a variation of Jacob. And so anywhere we see Jacobus, use James. And just so you know, that's a little of what's going on. You may have heard that somewhere or heard it alluded to. It is a legit translation or interpretation as you bring it from Greek over to English, but they ended up picking the name of the king because that would make him super happy too, right? And so that's why it actually is James, not some form of uh, Greek, Jacobus or Jacobus or something, right? So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of God, theos in the Greek here, a servant of God who reigns over all and, everybody say and, the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I'm telling you, he absolutely understands that Jesus is God. He sees the deity. Otherwise, he just declared total idolatry. He's either saying there's two things I'm worshiping, God and then this guy, or he fully grasps that Jesus is God. He's elevating him up, he's bringing them alongside, and he's like, God all over it all, God the Father, he's over everything, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He has now transitioned his brother from being Jesus to being the Lord Jesus Christ. He is following after Jesus with all he's got, and he says, I am a servant, that word servant there is the word doulas, bondservant, like I own nothing, I have no statement, my life is theirs, I have handed it to them, to God the Father and God the Son. I am worshiping God with all I've got and the Lord Jesus Christ. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So this is what we were talking about, right? The 12 tribes. This is the Jewish people who have now dispersed. In fact, Acts chapter 8 verse 1 talks about probably the first dispersion and the one that this is probably alluding to. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. It's right after Stephen takes a stand for who Christ is. He gets stoned for it. He literally is stoned to death. And as he dies, the church ends up going under great persecution and pressure. And people start running for their lives. They take their families in whole and start moving away. And that was probably the beginning of the first great dispersion that went on. That's probably what's actually been happening here. The dispersion was Acts chapter 8 verse 1 post Stephen. Everybody of the Jewish faith beginning to spread out. Acts chapter 8. Now Acts chapters 9 and 10 is when the gospel starts going out to the Gentiles. So at this point it still would have only been to the Jews. And that's a lot of what you see here then when he says, to the 12 tribes, to the Jewish people who are trusting in Christ, who are now being pressed down and spread out, you're under trial to the ones who are under great pressure. To those who have been spread out in the dispersion, greetings. Now just so you know, in the Greek, that word greetings there is actually the word be joyful or have joy. 
The word greeting there is actually has the word joy built into it. He's like, hey, joy to you. Okay, a little weird when you're talking to someone and you're like, to the ones who are under great persecution and pressure, to the ones who are struggling under trial, joy to you, man. It's a little bit of a weird moment, and so he's going to explain what he means by it and how that can even go down. This was actually kind of a natural greeting, so it, it actually fits as just a regular letter greeting to just say, greetings are a joy to you, but in fact, he means it theologically with all he's got. I know you're under great pressure. Hang on. Joy to you. And uh, maybe you're entering into 2020. And you're under great pressure. And you're feeling the trials washing up on your shore. And you're feeling the pressures of what you need to be going after. Know this. This book was written specifically for what you're going through. And as you're walking through the heartaches and as you're walking through the struggles, know this. James is writing to a group of believers who are going through something absolutely difficult to the core. And uh, man, may we grasp some of what he's going to teach in this book. And all of God's people said, all right. So it says here, greetings to you or joy to you. And uh, now he says, verse two, count it all joy. One thing you're going to notice with James is he'll often say a word in one verse and he'll bring it up in the next verse. It's kind of a Jewish thought style is when you say it and then you either say it again or you say it and then you extend it, give a little more understanding to it, or you say it and then you'll bring the contradiction, the negation to that, the, what's true on the other side, right? So it's a very Jewish thought kind of thing. You'll see it all over the Old Testament in Jewish poetry, and he uses it a lot. You see it here. He's like, joy to you. So count it all joy, right? He goes right to that same word. Count it all joy, my brothers. Again, he's talking to believers, my brothers. Everybody say that means saved. Right? This isn't his physical brothers. This isn't a narrow little group of a few that he's writing to. This is my brothers, all those who believe in Jesus Christ saved. Count it all joy. The word count means to consider. Think it of this. Consider it this. Value it this way as joy. The word joy, uh, we often misunderstand in our society today. It doesn't mean happiness. It doesn't mean something lighthearted or circumstantial, right? Joy, it actually is a satisfaction despite the circumstances, joy. It's a satisfaction despite the circumstances. Don't miss that. He's like, count it all joy. Make sure you're finding your satisfaction in other than the circumstances, Satisfaction despite the circumstances. Count it all that, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you meet trials of various kinds. Now, this word trials here, uh, it means struggles or tough moments that come into your life. It means when the brokenness of this world washes on your shore. It means when the sin of someone else or the just the Failings in this broken world tend to come upon you. When, when the trials of this world come on you. Now, there's another word, consequence. That's not this word, okay? Consequence is when you sinned and you're now struggling. So like the guy sitting in prison who stole something and he's in jail and he's like, I'm under such a trial. Uh, no, 
you're under such a consequence, right? That was a decision of your own that brought you into this. Consequence is when your sin brings the struggle. That's not what this is talking about. Here he's talking about trials. He's talking about just the brokenness of this world lapping up on your shore and bringing struggle into your life. Maybe it's somebody else's sin. Maybe it's just something that went down that wasn't the greatest. Somehow it's rolling on. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe it's something in the job world. You didn't do anything wrong, but it's washing up on your shore. This is a trial. Something that washes on your shore that really you had nothing to do with. It's just happening to you, okay? He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, when the broken world is touching you, count it joy. Well, that's easy to do, right? Can you imagine? This is like verse two of the letter. They're like, hey, we got a letter from James. Like, good, this has been so hard. We are under such difficulty. And he's like, hey, to all of you under difficulty, be joyful. Just count it as joy, right? You get halfway through the first sentence of hearing the guy and you're like, I don't want to hear anymore, right? The guy doesn't understand what I'm feeling. Like he's not getting where I'm at, man. And, but he goes through why. He's like, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds for you know. Don't miss those three words. For you know. Now he's reminding them. Remember. Like, let's dig deep here. It's easy to lose track of this. You know this, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or patience. The testing of your faith produces patience. The testing, the proving out, right? The checking of your hurts and your hopes and your beliefs and those having to stand up to a little bit of weight bearing and the testing of your faith produces patience, steadfastness. That word steadfastness or patience, it literally in the Greek means to remain under well. The image is of some big pack on your back and you're holding it down and this pack is heavy and weighted and you are holding on and bearing under well. He's like, just so you know, it's going to build in you the ability to have a pack on your back and stand in there with it. This is actually a lot like uh, the illustrative, it's a lot like weightlifting. It's like, just so we're super clear, if you go after weightlifting, you know, when you're doing some bench pressing and as you begin to lift, you start to see a strength come in. And the more you're lifting, the more strength it comes. And as you keep that up, you continue to increase and you can build this muscle. He's like, just so you know, your heart goes through a similar transformation. Know this, when the shores are lapping up the muck of this world, God has put a little bit more weight on the bench. That's what's going on. But trust me, God's your spotter. He's there with you. Some of you don't know what words I'm talking about when you're benching. When you're benching, like, don't do it alone. Have a spotter with you if you're going for the heavy weight. Somebody who's having the weight with you and helping it up if it's a little bit too much for you. And they're holding it there with you so that you can do multiple reps and being able to help you up with it and get it recentered at the end and you're done without crushing your chest, right? Great to be able to lift and not hurt ourselves too bad. And, and so the whole point is pick the right level of weight for you. God is absolutely skilled in knowing what's coming your way and knowing what you can handle 
and being able to bring the grace to cover it, God's got a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing, man. And as it washes on your shore, please hear me. It's going to feel like it's the heaviest thing you've ever lifted, but God's right there with you, and with his strength, you can go through it. Amen, man. God's got a plan. He knows it. Don't lose sight of it. As you enter into 2020, hear me on this. There might be a lot of weight on that bench right now, but God's right there with you, and he's got the plan to walk it with you. And he knows exactly what he's doing with you. He loves you with all he's got. And he's building in your soul a patience and a steadfastness that is so committed to him and so not committed to just daily comfort. It is so easy for us to get committed to comfort. And uh, man, uh, I got into working out again after some of the... uh, some of the brain surgeries and that stuff going on, and I had lost a lot with hormones. I just had to try to get back into it. So I went back to starting really small weights, started benching, and was doing some other things there, weightlifting, and getting through that over the last six to nine months, and really building some strength back up, and things were going well. And, uh, and then it got to October, and I was like, I'm going to do a little bit of deer hunting, so I'm out a little more doing that. And so I wasn't lifting as much. And then Thanksgiving and Christmas came, and chocolate cream pies, and... and seven layer cookies and M&Ms all over the place and cinnamon rolls over breakfast and it was unbelievable. And, uh, and then I go back to weightlifting now and I'm like, what in the world happened? <laughs> like the strength just goes. It is amazing how fast we lose what we gained when we let go. And here's the deal though, the muscle comes back quickly. You start lifting, it comes right back into it and then you get to that kind of topping point and now it's a harder ride again. The reality is the strength and muscle are built in. You can get it back quick. Just start getting back on it. All too often, we get into a trial or a struggle and we're going through the heartache of it. We're building up some patience. We're hanging in there and then we get to the backside of it and we're like, we're through it. And we sort of let go a little bit. We start enjoying the chocolate cream pie of life, whatever that is, and it starts to get a little easier and we start letting down and all of a sudden our patience gets a little wobbly again. Our ability to stand up under gets just a little bit shaky. And then God walks the next one in by washing another thing on our shore. He allows and he begins to put a little more weight back on the bench and go, it's time for us to get back on this and going after it. Please hear me. The goal is us looking more like Jesus Christ. The goal is our soul to be transformed moment by moment so that we can remain under in our worship no matter what's washing on our shore. And all of God's people said. So as you enter 2020, however much God had on your barbell, may we come to him and say, Lord, I get that I'm facing these trials and I understand that this is to build some level of strength in my soul. May my worship get more on fire for you this year. May you get all the glory. And all of God's people said, may we face trials knowing the purpose, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Patience can have a massive impact on your heart and on your worship. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He literally says that God is going to be changing you one degree at a time, 
One little bit of extra weight added on at a time. One more thing washing in that you need to be going through that God begins to bring you to another level of being able to remain under and another level of being able to remain under. All too often, we become experts at saying why that shouldn't have washed on our shore instead of deciding it has washed on our shore and I understand that God's in charge and I'm going to sit under. Lord, I'm ready to begin to face this trial. May you get all the glory. And I don't know what you're facing in 2020 and I'm, maybe you've got it light right now. Praise God for that. May we begin to walk through 2020 saying, Lord, I'm ready to put a little more weight on the barbell. I'm ready to see you do a little more work in my life. May my worship be on fire. And, uh, he says that you may be perfect and incomplete, lacking nothing. Wow. That'd be nice, huh? And he's like, just so you know, the plan is a little more stress and strain that we have to work through. That's what gets us there. Did you know that? The actual growth plan is pain and problem that we need to face. That's the plan, right? And so I'm just telling you, I've said this a number of times, I say it a couple times a year, every year, the reality, I don't know where the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel comes from, but it isn't from Scripture. The, the plan in Scripture is get ready, you're going to face a little bit of it washing on your shore. And that wrestling through is going to build your worship. It does not say, come to Jesus. It's going to all be great and perfect. It says, come to Jesus. God will let stuff wash on your shore, and it'll cause you to have to bench a little more, and it's going to be a little bit stressed and strained at times, but God's growing in you a patience in your worship that will make the world look at you and go, what's going on over there? How are they getting through that? God's calling us to be a model to this world, that we're going to stand up in this broken world and be growing one degree of glory at a time. That's God's plan. And all of God's people said, yeah. I mean, so many of you have started going to Gold's Gym right now, you know, or wherever. You're like, hey, it's the beginning of the new year. It's time to lose a little weight, time to be trying to get in shape a little bit, time for a little bit of spiritually getting in shape as well. May God get all the glory. And, um, you know, a couple weeks back, I used an illustration uh, of a sign that we put up in our front yard, the joy sign, capital J, capital O, capital Y, right, the three letters, and we went through all this arduous work to get it lit right, and finally got the floodlight up on the thing and had it perfectly lit and is beaming, and man, you come down the street, you could see it from, you know, half a block to a block away, you could see the joy sign beaming out there, and, and uh, a number of you actually stalked our house and drove by to take a look at it. Got a few comments on it, and uh, it was. It was lit up hardcore, man, and, and it looked great. We went, went through Christmas with it looking real good, and, and uh, after Christmas, we got a lot more wind that started coming in. Did you notice that? A lot more wind that started coming in, and these flat pieces of wood really catch the wind well, and there was one day that the Y just was pushed almost three-quarters of the way back, and the J was snapped and pushed into the O, and so the, the lighting was not even really lighting the Y up at all. And the J was twisted a little, so it was only kind of lit. The O was getting it, you know. There was a little bit of joy going on. But the thing was bent and warped. And, and he's like, hear me on this. Count it all joy when you go through various trials. When the winds of this world are nailing your joy and the Y is getting pushed back and the J is getting tipped in, 
Take inventory. Sit down to a moment of worship with your God and say, Lord, I'm letting my joy get smacked around. I'm ready for my satisfaction to be in you, not in something else. Set that Y back up. Set that J back in place. Get them set hard and get back to worshiping your God and face that trial remaining under well. And all of God's people said, what's your trial? What's the wind that's blowing your joy all over the place? Time to fix that joy hardcore and get after it. And please hear me, I'm with you on this journey. I'm with you. Going into 2020 and being able to say, Lord, may the circumstances of this world not take my joy down. I am ready to start standing for you. Scared to even say the words, Lord, but I'm ready for my joy to toughen up. And I understand that that means there's going to be stuff washing on my shore, and it means we're going to be putting a little more on the barbell. It's time to go after it, Lord. May you get all the glory. And are you in with me? Are you ready to take your life and your load and say, God, I'm ready to take a step with you and watch you do a work in me? I am ready to count it all joy as the winds of this world come whipping through, as the trials set up. May I worship you with all I've got. Let's face trials with hope and purpose. And point number two, prayerfully request wisdom humbly and confidently. Prayerfully request wisdom humbly and confidently. He says, you will lack nothing. Now notice he just said the word lack and now he jumps into the next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, right? He's like, remember, we're talking about lack right now. Let me help you through this. If you're lacking wisdom, if you're missing out on understanding how knowledge applies to the circumstance you're in, if you're trying to figure out how it all works out, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Come to your Lord crying out. I just want to make sure we get this clear. What is wisdom? All too often we think of wisdom in some ethereal sense. Maybe you think you have a meaning to it and you start trying to act it out, but the reality is you're not getting after it in the right way. So I just wrote a few things down. Uh, Five questions that wisdom asks. And if we're going after wisdom, these are five questions we're asking. Five questions that wisdom asks. Number one, how do I best glorify God? In this situation, how do I best glorify God? First question of wisdom, how do I make this all about my Lord and Savior? How do I glorify Him? Wisdom will start with it's all about my King, okay? How do I glorify Him? Second question, how might this work best? Like given the circumstance, how might this work best? Wisdom is interested in best. How might this work best? best. Not, ah, this is one way. Let's just wing it, right? Wisdom is like, no, really, I'm sure there's multiple ways, but what works best here? How might this work best? Great second question for wisdom. Third question, how might this go wrong? How might this go wrong? Dude, you are not walking in wisdom until you've said, what could go wrong here, right? Really, take some cost inventory, Dude, if I go this way, what could happen? 
Being able to understand the cost of it is a part of wisdom. You can't begin to avoid the pitfalls until you know what they are. Being able to process through it and say, this probably isn't that smart. How often when you say to somebody, dude, that is not wise, what are you actually saying? I have evaluated the cost of your current action, and brother, that is going to hurt you. (laughs) Be careful, right? We are taking an inventory of the moment and saying the cost is high. Watch out. uh, Man, true wisdom. It's like, Lord, you get the glory. True wisdom, how does this work best? True wisdom, how could this go wrong? All right, number four, true wisdom. What is the next best step? What is that next step I need to take? Wisdom understands what's next. Like, where do I put my foot next? It is not enough to have some big, broad vision and be like, yeah, we're going to accomplish this. In this big vision for your family, for your home, for you, whatever, you know, I'm going to save this much money. I'm going to care for it in this way. I'm going to lead this many people to Christ. I'm going to do like big vision. What's your next step? I have no idea. That's not a wisdom moment. It's a great vision. It's fine to put vision out there, but wisdom brings it down to the next step. What do I need to be doing? Okay. And then the last one. What are the steps after that step? Wisdom understands the plan that's rolling out. What are the steps that are after that step? What do I need to be doing after that to follow through? True wisdom. Lord God, may you get all the glory. Lord God, what is the best way to enter into this? Lord, what are the risks as we go into it? And God, as we're stepping into this with the risks at hand, what is that one next step that I need to take? And Lord, what are the steps that are after that? If any of you are lacking an understanding and an ability to put forth that effort, let him ask of God. Being able to go through those five things and be able to say, Lord, this is an area. It's so easy for us to go, Lord, I need wisdom, but we don't know what we're talking about. Break it down into these five pieces. Lord, I need to know how this even glorifies you. Or Lord, I need to know what it even looks like for the best thing to happen here. Or Lord, I just need to know what the next step needs to be in all of this, whatever that is. Walk through the five questions, asking prayerfully about that. And watch how God so answers. In the clear, small questions, we get clear, direct answers. Don't ask for the big, broad Ask for the piecemeal and break it down. Lord, help me with this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you're missing out on understanding these five elements, let him ask of God, prayerfully, dependently coming to your God, crying out to him. Let him ask God. It says, who gives generously to all without reproach. Who gives generously to all. Now, some will say this all here is all believers because he's writing Two believers. Some will say this means all people because we know that God does give to all. There is a common grace that God has, right? He lets the rain fall on both the good and the evil. He allows for there to be sunshine and harvest and a breath to be taken. And God does give to all at various levels, but he lavishes it on to those who are believing in him. Man, for the believer, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, know this, your God is a giving God. He so can't wait to give. He loves you with all he's got. 
And he cannot wait to pour it into your life, to give and give and give. Your God loves to give to you. Notice it says, who gives generously. He doesn't hold back. He's not stingy in it. He pours it on and even lets it overflow. Your God pouring into your life, who loves to give generously to all without reproach. That word reproach uh, literally means without shaming you without demeaning you. God doesn't say, I can't believe that I have to give this to you. Fine, here. Everybody say, not that. That's not God. It's like when your little one comes to you and asks for something. There's the moment where you're getting down on your knee, you're pulling them in close, you're handing it over to them. There's this gentle moment as you're giving and you're laughing along with and you can't wait to see their face as they get to receive and it's the joy of giving in. That's your God with you. There is no reproach. There is no demeaning. There is no knocking down. There is no shaming. God lavishes it on and he's looking to bring you up. That's your God. Man, as you enter into 2020... Are you ready to say, Lord God, I am ready to lean on you as a giving God in my life? It is so easy for us to say, Lord, I'll handle it until I can't handle it, and then I'll come to you with this trouble. Like, not that. Lord, I'm coming to you every day, all the time, and I can't wait to see how you lavish it on. He gives generously, and especially in the area of wisdom. It says that he gives generously without reproach, and it will be given him. If you ask and you're leaning on your God and counting on him, it will be given. God does not hold it back. It says, but let him ask in faith, in faith. Like when you're asking for wisdom, you're counting on him, you're believing in him, you're like, God, I know you can handle this. Let him ask in faith without doubting, without doubting, with no doubting at all. There is nothing in you that's like, God, I don't think you got this. Lord, I don't think you care. But do you even know what the right answer is? Lord, if I ask you for this, will you even want to give to me? Doubting. None of that. Where we come in and we're saying, Lord, I know you've got it. I know you understand it. I know you love me. I know you give generously and I'm ready to pour back into you. Lord God, I'm leaning on you with all I've got and I'm ready to hear from you without doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind picture a boat out on the waves out in the middle of the ocean where basically these waves are being formed by the storms and the wind that are blowing back and forth and as the waves are getting blown one way the boat just kind of tracks with and then back this way and then back this way and down in and the mist comes over and the waves being driven around just by the change of the weather. Man, may we not be that guy. May we anchor in with our God and hang on with our worship, maybe like never before. May God get all the glory. No doubting along the way. This doubting is a huge deal. I'm just telling you that it takes character to hang in there without doubting. All too often, We convert our worship into whining. And then it's quickly just to turn around the corner and you're right at doubting. Right? As we start to whine, we're like, it shouldn't be this way. And why are they so? And what's up with? 
and I don't understand why, and how come, just a little bit around the corner, and God does not have this, right? Be careful. Our whining so quickly leads to doubting. I'm just telling you, it's easy to be artful at the whine. And the more you're gifted in discernment, it's easier to see all that's wrong and whine about all that's wrong. I'm speaking from my own fault here. Be super careful with the wine. It'll tear you apart. It turns you right into doubting. And then you have to recover out of all of that. And God is promising to want to lavish on as we fix our eyes on him and worship him with all we've got. It says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. He literally has two thoughts, two souls going on. That's what it says in the Greek. Two souls. He's got one going this way and one going that way. And it's back and forth and up and down and can't make my mind up. Lord, may I stop my whining. May I set down the grievances. And Lord, may I start looking to you. Getting ready to handle some weight that's coming my way. I know it's going to grow me. And I long for you to get the glory. And I'm telling you, these words are easier said than done. And all of God's people said. May we engage in 2020 saying, Lord, I'm ready to go after this for real. He says at the end here, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All his ways. How many of his ways? Did you know that? That once you toy around with whining leads to doubting, it'll wreck you everywhere. It's not a choice, man. Once we got a habit, it's just going to take us down. Man, are you an expert whiner or are you an expert worshiper? Where are you at? May we long for the wisdom that God is so willing to give and may he shape and change our lives. There were two guys. They went out to go ice fishing. They got to this lake. It was solid, thick ice, right? They could see the guys already, other guys out there already fishing and and in fact, they already had a truck out there on the ice, and they're like, okay, so it's pretty safe, and they're getting up to it, and uh, one of the guys goes, all right, let's go out, and he goes, hang on, I, mean, I don't know anything about this lake, we've never been here, maybe we should just ask them if there's something we need to know. And he's like, it's fine, dude, there's a truck on the lake, let's just go, and he goes, I'm asking, he goes, hey, is there anything we need to know? And there's like, yeah, you better watch out, there's a warm spring that feeds into the lake right over there by your right side. And so the the ice right there is super thin, but everywhere else it's really thick. Just come on down over here and you can come on out. He's like, great. The wise man starts to walk over here. He's like, I got it. And he starts to go out and the other guy goes, we'll see. So he walks this way. We'll see. He goes over to where supposed spring is at, puts his foot out on it. Ice is holding him. He steps out again. It's holding him. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes down in. Soaking wet, freezing, the day is over, it's time to climb back out, get in and go home. The bottom line is we usually live life in one of two ways. I must learn for myself. Or, Lord, I long to learn through others, please teach me. Maybe it's through God himself as the Holy Spirit impresses. Maybe it's through the word as he teaches in. 
Maybe it's through somebody you're interacting with and they're telling you about a trip or a journey they've just been on and you can learn through it. My simple question is this, are you willing to learn from others or do you have to experience it yourself first? Wisdom always looks out around, brings feedback in and makes sense out of it. May God get the glory. It's all about him. How does this work best? Lord, I long to go after it, but what are the pitfalls? What do I have to be careful of? What is my next step? And what are the steps after it? And then step wisely. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. Without doubting, the doubt usually comes when we say, I've got it. Our whining will lead to it. Our pointing fingers will lead to it. Lord God, I'm ready to hear from you. Simple question. Are you ready to walk wisely? Are you ready to hear from others, hear from God himself, hear from his word, and take inventory and take wise steps? May God get the glory. The first words that James said to a hurting church under dispersion. Get ready. That stuff washing on your shore is God at work and he knows what he's doing. Hang on. It's going to build in you a perseverance and a patience like you would not believe. And if you don't understand what you need to do next, cry out to your king. He'll lavish it on with all he's got. You are not alone. And all of God's people said, that is taking a step into trial. Let's pray. 